Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number 5. And of course, we've been going through a series called Happily Ever After, and we've been learning from the Bible biblical principles for marriage, for having children, raising children, and the establishment of the Christian home. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue on uh, with this series. And I do want to encourage you, uh, if you have not been with us as we've been going through this series, I would encourage you, when you have time, to go back and uh, listen to some of the sermons leading up uh, to this sermon. Uh, You can find that on our YouTube channel or on our website, uh, because they do really build on each other. Uh, I will say this, that if there is one sermon on the subject of marriage, and we're going to be specifically talking about marriage this morning. There's one sermon on the subject of marriage that uh, you should listen to. Now, I think you should listen to all of them. I think you should try to learn all of them and apply them all. But if there's, if there's one important one that you need to uh, be listening to, I would say this is it. This is the one. When it comes to the relationship between a husband and wife, uh, this principle that I'm going to teach you this morning is probably the number one principle in regards to having a happy marriage. This principle is 95% of the problems um, that arise uh, in marriage when we actually have problems in marriage. And I would say that when it comes to marriage counseling, my wife and I do a lot of marriage counseling. And over the years, I've learned that you can boil down most of the problems that people have in their marriages to this one thing. So I'm trying to make sure that you understand how important this is. Some of you wives may want to wake your husband up and have him uh, uh, listen. Uh, We're going to learn several things today, and we're going to learn the innate needs of men and women within the relationship of a husband and wife. And I say they're innate because the word innate means they're, they're natural, they're born in you. These are things that God uh, put in you. And we're going to uh, break down for you what happens in a marriage uh, and how marriages of, oftentimes spiral out of control when these innate needs uh, are not met. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this chapter that we read this morning, Ephesians chapter number 5, and we're going to break, I'm going to break it down for you. Now, let me just give you just by way of introduction, and I'm going to give you some things to, to take notes on, and I hope you will take notes on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some things. Um, this chapter, what you need to know, Ephesians chapter 5, is the, what I would call the quintessential passage on marriage in the Bible. Now, the Bible talks a lot about marriage. In fact, I've, I've preached, this is my sixth sermon in this series, and we've been preaching a lot about marriage, and I purposely not came to Ephesians 5 uh, a lot because I wanted to be able to focus on it in this sermon. The point that I'm making is this. The Bible talks a lot about marriage. There's a lot that you can learn from the Bible in regards to marriage, um, not just in Ephesians chapter 5. But I would say if there's one chapter in the entire Bible that deals with marriage, and not even the entire chapter, just half of the chapter, it is the passage we're looking at today. It's the quintessential passage on marriage. In Ephesians 5, Paul deals with the roles and responsibilities of a husband and a wife. He uh, gives us... At the end, and I want to highlight that for you here by way of introduction, the number one priority. He, through the passage, he talks about what the roles are of a husband and wife, what the responsibilities are of a husband and wife. But what I like that the Apostle Paul does is at the very end, he sums it all up by giving us the number one priority, the number, the big takeaway for each spouse. And he does that in the very last verse. I want you to notice there in Ephesians 5, look down at verse number 33, you'll Uh, you'll remember this from our bulletin. He says in Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So we're going to look at this idea today of the subject of love and reverence within marriage. Love and reverence within marriage. However, before we do that, I'm going to break Ephesians chapter 5 for you today. But before we do that, I'd like you to go with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. If you go to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, you're going to find that you have what I call these one and two books. They're all clustered together. You have First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. If you can find the books that have the numbers before the title, you'll be in the right area. First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles. They're all clustered together. I'd like you to go to Second Samuel chapter number six. Second Samuel chapter number six. And before we break down 
Ephesians chapter 5, I'd like you to join me in a counseling session, a marriage counseling session, and we're going to look at this couple, and I'm going to do what I often do in marriage counseling. We're going to sit down with a husband and wife. In this case, it is a husband by the name of David. You might remember David from the Bible. He's known as King David. He's the David that killed Goliath. He has a wife by the name of Michal, and they're having marriage problems. I'm going to have you come step into the pastoral office with me, if you would, and we're going to sit down in front of David and his wife, Michael, who are having some issues, and I'm going to ask how I normally would this question of this husband and wife, what's going on? What's the problem? And I'm going to allow them to give us the story and explain to us what it is that is going on, and it's explained for us here in 2 Samuel chapter number 6, I'd like you to notice verse number 14. Of course, it is the Holy Spirit of God that is revealing the story to us, and the Holy Spirit reveals it to us for a reason. But I want you to imagine that you have David and Michael sitting in front of you in a marriage counseling session, and they are coming in because they're having problems and issues, and we're asking the question, what happened? What's going on? What's the problem? And David begins to tell us a story, or Michael begins to tell us a story, and it goes like this, Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 14. The Bible says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. Now let me just say this, nowhere in the Bible does the Bible indicate that David did anything wrong here as he danced before the Lord. The Bible says at the end of verse 14, and David was girded with a linen ephod. What we see is that David is right now at a time of rejoicing and worshiping. So I might look at Mr. David and say, David, what's going on? And he would say, well, I was dancing before the Lord. With all my might, I I was girded with a linen ephod. I was rejoicing and worshiping. Why were you rejoicing and worshiping, David? Verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. I might ask David, why were you worshiping? Why were you dancing? Why were you rejoicing? And he would say, well, you know that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken from us and had been gone from the nation of Israel and we were able to recover it and we were bringing it back to its rightful place. And as we were bringing it, I was dancing before the Lord. And I would ask, well, then what? What's the problem? Might ask the wife, my call, what What's going on? And she might reveal what we find in verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. Notice these words. And she despised him in her heart. We might ask Mr. David, what's the problem? He says, well, I was dancing and leaping before the Lord. I was rejoicing. We're bringing the ark of the covenant. And I don't know why, but for some reason, my wife was upset about it. Why don't you notice there in verse 17, and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle. And David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt among the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as the women, as the men, to everyone, a cake of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. So all the people were uh, departed, everyone of his house. Mr. David might say, I'm not sure what's going on. I was in a very good mood. I was in a very generous mood. We brought in the ark, and I I made an offering. I made an offering unto the Lord, and I blessed the people, and I even dealt to the people, and I gave to the people a cake of bread, and a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine, and everything was going fine. And I might ask, well, then what happened? He said, then I came home. Verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. He said, I came home in a good mood. In fact, I came home to bless my household. I'd just given all these gifts to all these other households, and I came home to bless my household. And when I got there, out of nowhere, David might say, in a counseling session, the Bible says, notice there in verse 20, and David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, David might say, I I got there, I was happy, I was in a good mood, everything was fine. And as soon as I get there, my wife meets me and she says to me, how glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. She just started uh, attacking me and, and calling me names and, 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 and saying that I was shameful and, and, and being sarcastic towards me. 
And then I might ask, well, how did you respond, David? And he might say, well, not very good. Notice verse 21, and David said unto Michael, notice his response, it was before the Lord. Now, at this point, that's a good response. She's upset that he's dancing before the Lord, and he responds, it was before the Lord. She says that how she, she's uh, sarcastic and saying how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants one, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. She said, you're acting like a, sh- uh, like a vain fellow. You ought to be ashamed. And he responds, it was before the Lord. And if he would have ended there, that would have been a good response. But he goes on further. He says, which chose me before thy father. And Michael might say at this point, why do you have to bring up my dad? And if you remember the story, Michael's father, Saul, was the previous king who had been replaced by David. And David says, it was before the Lord, good, which was, uh, was chosen before my, thy father. And he derails quickly. And before all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel, he says, therefore, I will play before the Lord. I said, was that it, David? He said, no, I, I said more. <laughs> was it worse? It got worse. Verse 22, and I will yet be more vile than thus. He says, you think that was bad? It's going to get worse, my call. And I will be base in mine own sight and of the maidservants that thou hast spoken of and of them that shall be had in honor, uh, shall, uh, shall I be had in honor. Therefore, I would say, what happened then? Mr. David, Mrs. Michael, what's going on? David say, well, I went and slept on the couch. Michael might say, well, I went and spent the night at my mom's house. Well, we've been separated now. Notice verse 23. Therefore, the Bible says, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. What is it that the Bible's telling us here? The Bible's telling us here that they never physically came together again. They did not have a physical relationship. They did not have an emotional relationship. They did not have any sort of relationship. Because of this, she had no child until the day of her death. Here we have a story of a couple who is struggling. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel, if you would, and go back with me to Ephesians chapter 5. These are the kind of stories that people tell when they come into an office uh, to get counseling, when they come into an office to get some help. You might sit down, a husband and wife, and say, tell me what happened. They might say, well, I was doing this, and everything was fine, everything was good, and then I showed up, and then she's just, you know, has a demon, or he just has a demon, and I'm not sure why he acts that way, and I'm not sure why she acts that way, and then he had to bring my dad into it, and then he said something worse, and then I said something worse, and it escalated, and we haven't spoken for seven days. These are the kind of things that couples will tell you when they need some help, when they get to a breaking point. And I would like to do for Mr. David and Ms. Michael what I do often for any couple that's struggling. I say, well, let me show you what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 5, I'd like you to go back to Ephesians chapter 5. You say, what does that story have anything to do with what we're going to learn about today? I, I, what I want to do is I want to teach you a biblical principle from the Word of God, and then we're going to come back to our struggling couple and apply it to their lives. We're going to come back, I'd like you to keep your place there in 2 Samuel, we're going to come back to it at the end of the sermon. In fact, you all know that the sermon's almost over when we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, all right? That'll give you some hope. But before we go back to our struggling couple, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and look at this quintessential passage on marriage, and let me explain to you what I have explained to every couple that I've ever performed a wedding for in premarital counseling, what I've, uh, 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 what I've explained to every couple that I've ever had the uh, privilege of uh, counseling through some difficult times in their lives, and what I think you need to know. You say, what do I need to know? I want to give you this morning the secret about having a happy marriage. What is the secret to a happy marriage? The secret to a happy marriage is understanding the secret about what a husband wants from their marriage and what a wife wants within her marriage. You say, well, what is that? Well, I'd like you to notice, look back at Ephesians 5, look at verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular 
Paul just got done giving us all these great lessons, all these great thoughts, all these great ideas on the subject of marriage. He talked about the roles and responsibilities, and we're going to look at them. But after he gets all done, he boils it all down, he gets to the end. You know that Paul was a Baptist preacher because he gets to the end, and he says, now I realize that you may not have listened to anything that I said, but let me just say in closing, here's the most important thing you need to remember. He says, if you don't remember anything else, if you don't do anything else, here's what I need you to do. Ephesians 5.33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and let's start with what the husbands want and the wife see the wife see paul says hey ladies if there's anything you're going to take away from this passage here's what i want you to know the wife needs to see that she reverence her husband you say why is that here's why that is because ladies you may or may not know this but what your husbands really want from your marriage from your relationship, is reverence. You say, what, what's reverence? The word reverence means to have deep respect or admiration for someone or something. The word reverence means that they would be honored and admired and uh, respected. Keep your place there in Ephesians 5. We're going to come back to it. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Titus, Titus chapter number 2. Now, remember, in the Old Testament, you had those one and two books. They were clustered together. In the New Testament, you have the, 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 the T books. They're all clustered together. First, Second Thessalonians, First, Second Timothy, Titus. If you're there in Ephesians, you're going to go past Philippians, past Colossians, into First and Second Thessalonians, Past 1st and 2nd Timothy into Titus. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. Now, I know I'm asking you to keep your place in a lot of places, so this is going to require some concentration. But I'd like you to keep your place in 2nd Samuel. I'd like you to keep your place in Ephesians. And I'd also like you to keep your place in Titus. All right? We're going to be flipping back and forth a little bit. But I want you to understand this, ladies. What your You say, well, I don't know what he wants. What does he want? Here's what he wants. Let me just help you. Because the average guy is not a good communicator. The average man uh, lacks in their ability to communicate. So you might say, you know, I don't understand what the problem is. What does he want? Let me help you out, ladies. He wants reverence. That's what men want. Even if your husband does not have the communication skills to be able to communicate that properly, I'm here to tell you, that's what he wants. That's why men are driven at work. That's why men go to war. That's why men play sports. That's why men go hunting. Why in the world would a man spend three weeks of his vacation out in the middle of a wilderness while it's snowing, not talking to anybody, and saying, I'm having a great time hunting? You know why? So he can get a nice big trophy, put it on his wall, so he can have his friends over, and they might say, wow! Why do men like to play sports so they can get a, a big trophy and put it on a shelf somewhere? Look, ladies, there's a reason why your grown 30-something-year-old husband still has his Little League trophies displayed. <laughs> they want reverence. I, I'm here to tell you, and, and, and by the way, uh, it, it's, it's God put that in men. Thank God for it. The fact that men are driven, they, 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 they want to go after something, they want to hunt something, they want to kill something, they want to win something, they want to battle something. It's, it's something that God has put in men, husbands and men. And by the way, whenever you find a guy that's not driven, he's either high or he needs to get his testosterone checked out. Because God has put in man this desire to drive to win, to conquer. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it, it, it drives them in their career to succeed. Sometimes it drives them too much. Oftentimes, this is why men go to war, play sports, go hunting. You say, why? Because men are chasing this thing. It's called respect. Now, let me just say this, and I'm not going to pre... I, I talked about this last week. Husbands... You should work at earning your wife's respect. Amen. We talked about it last week. You said, how do I do that? Well, you need to do that by leading from a position of moral authority. You should do that by having personal and uh, uh, success and achievements. You should do that by practicing servant leadership. I preached a whole sermon on it last week. I'm not going to take the time to do it today. But let me just say this. Your, your wife, wives, I want you to know this is what your husband wants. It's reverence. Husbands, I want you to know that you should live your life in such a way that you're trying to earn that respect, earn that reverence. Now, let me just, let me just say this. 
Husbands want reverence. That's what they want. Now, I, I preach this, and people sometimes they roll their eyes at me, and they're like, Pastor, where are you know this? And, and the thing is, if you, if you know this so much, then why do I have so many David and my calls? Yeah, Pastor, we know this. Yeah, well, I've been watching you as you uh, talk to your husband, and it doesn't seem like you understand this. Men want reverence. Just know, ladies, please know this. Men want reverence. Guys, they're not that complicated. In fact, they're pretty shallow. They want reverence. You, you say, what do you mean? I mean, they want to be acknowledged. They want you. Uh, look, I, don't, I, don't, I, I want my wife to, 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 to like cheerlead. If, if all I do, look, if, if all your husband does is take the trash out, he wants somebody afterwards to be like, I watched you take the trash out. That was amazing. You were just the most amazing. Thank you, honey, so much. In fact, several hours later before you go to bed, Honey, I just want to tell you again, I'm so thankful that you took that trash out. That was amazing. You say, why? Because that's what men want. Listen, listen, ladies, you, you could be, you, the, the, your husband could be doing the most menial task, putting together the most easy thing. You know, I might be putting something together, as soon as my, you know, and I'm all frustrated, and I'm reading the thing, and I got it all backwards, and I'm trying to look at it, and figure, as soon as my wife walks by, I suck in, and I'm like, I got this. <laughs> say, why? Because I'm just here to tell you something. Men want reverence. God put it in them. They want to be respected. Now, let me just say this. Men want reverence, but they also need love. And I, and I want you to be clear about something. I'm not saying that all a wife needs to do is respect or reverence her husband, and that's all that's required of her. No, no, the Bible teaches that you need to love him as well. But I'm here to tell you, if you're going to take one thing away from marriage, how to have a happy marriage, here's how you have a great marriage. Husbands need to receive reverence from their wife. Now, they also need love. Are you there in Titus 2? Look at verse 4. Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Here we have the Apostle Paul speaking to the aged women, the older women. Notice what he says to them. He says that they, the aged women, may teach the young women. What do they teach the young women? To be sober. Notice these words. To love their husbands, to love their children. So I am not telling you all a wife needs to do is reverence her husband and that's it and, and nothing else. No, no. You, you're, you're, your husband also needs love. But ladies, please, please know this. Just know this. What your husband really wants, he may never say it. What your husband really wants, he may never communicate it. What your husband really wants is reverence, is respect. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5. What's the secret about what husbands want? It's reverence. Now, you guys, listen up. The secret about what wives want what is it? Ephesians 5, look at verse 33 again. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular. Paul says, if you're, if you're not going to catch anything, if you're not going to remember anything, if you haven't taken note of anything, I want you to take note of this. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, notice this word, so love his wife. Guys, listen up for a minute. You know what wives really want? I don't understand what she wants. I understand what the problem is. You know what wives really want? It's love. Wives want to feel loved. You say, how do you define love? Well, love is defined as the experience of intense feelings of deep affection from someone or for someone. Here's, here's what it is, guys. You say, how, well, what, what's love? Here, here's what it means to feel loved. To feel cared about or cared for. Wives really want love. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. They really want to feel from you that you care about them and that you're caring for them. What wives really want is love. Wives really want love. Now, let me just say this. What wives also need is respect or honor. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. That all women need is love, so guys, just make sure they're loved and, 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 and don't worry about respecting them. Here's the thing. You cannot properly love someone without giving them respect. Amen. So women want love, but they also need respect. Did you keep your place in Titus? 
Go, go back to Titus, but from Titus, I'd like you to go to 1 Peter. If you kept your place in Titus, you have Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. What wives really want is love, but they also need honor. They need to be respected. So please, please understand this. I'm not saying here this morning that all a husband needs to do is love his wife and he does not need to respect her or he can disrespect her. No, no, no. You cannot properly love your wife without giving her proper honor. First Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 7. First Peter 3, 7. I, I had you keep your place in 2 Samuel. I had you keep your place in Ephesians. And I had you keep your place in Titus. We went from Titus to First Peter. So now keep your place in First Peter, please. We're going to come back to First Peter. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Notice these words. Giving honor unto the wife. Giving honor unto the wife. What does the word honor mean? It means to give a position of high worth respect or merit, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. So here's the point. What is it? What is it? Keep your place in 1 Peter. Go back to Ephesians chapter number 5. What is the secret? Because, right, you know, people, they make all these comments. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. We don't understand each other. We don't get, I don't understand what's going on. Let me help you out. You guys say, my wife is crazy. I don't understand what she wants. I can't understand what will make her happy. Please help, let me help you out. What husbands really want is reverence. What wives really want is love. And because we're selfish and self-centered people, what we often do is we give what we want. So, a husband and wife walk into my office. Mr. David, Mr. Michael walk into my office. I say, what's going on? Our marriage is struggling. What's the problem? I don't understand. I don't know. And I'll look at the husband and say, well, what's going on? What's the problem? He's a, he'll say something like this. I don't understand why. I don't understand why she's always upset. I mean, I, I get up early every day. I go work hard every day. I provide for her needs. I make sure she has a nice car. I make sure she's living in a nice house. I make sure that she has nice clothes and she's taken care of and we have money for groceries and the kids are taken care of and, and I, I provide and I, and I make sure she's taken care of it and she just still acts like a crazy person and I, I don't get it. And here's what the husband's saying. I respect her. I honor her. In fact, I work hard to make sure that she has a place of dignity and respect. And what I say to these husbands is this. Well, here's the thing. It sounds like you have a lot of respect for your wife. You give her a lot of honor. Make sure she lives in a nice neighborhood, drives a nice car, has nice clothes on. You give a lot of respect. But here's the thing. The reason that you emphasize respect is because that's what you want. You want status. You want to be admired. I make sure that she, that, that she has, when, when, we, when we go to church, she's got the nicest clothes of all the ladies. Well, here's the thing. You give a lot of respect, status, trophies, admiration, because that's what husbands want. But husbands, you, here's the thing. You can, you can provide all the needs, provide all the goods, provide all the retirement, make sure they have everything, and yet if you ignore your wife, if you don't uh, give time to your wife, if you don't make sure she feels cared for, she's not going to be happy. You say, well, I don't understand why. Here's why. Because more than respect, she wants love. Now, she needs both, but if you only could choose one, make sure she feels loved, not necessarily honored. Now, she needs both. But without love, if she doesn't feel love, a wife will come into my office and say, what's going on? Well, I don't understand him. I understand why marriage is falling apart. I mean, I'm always trying to cuddle with him. I'm always trying to talk to him. I'm always trying to have affection. And I ask him to sit on the couch and talk with me and hug me and hold me and do these things. And I understand why, uh, uh, you know, uh, things aren't going well. And I'll say, well, here's the thing. The reason that you are trying to push all this affection and care and love onto your husband is because that's what you want. You want to be cared for. You want to be held. You want to be cuddled. You want to be felt, made to feel like you are loved. So you put that on your husband and nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing, ma'am. You know your husband would rather be respected than loved? 
You know that your husband would rather you show him reverence than you show him affection? You say, well, that doesn't make it. Well, here's the thing. He needs both. He needs both. Look, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. It doesn't matter what Oprah says about it or not. It doesn't matter what Dr. Phil says about it or not. This is what the Word of God says. If you don't know what my husband, what, what does my husband want? Hey, you know what he wants? He really wants reverence. You know what she wants? She really wants love. And the problem, the problem is that we say, well, I want reverence. I give her a lot of reverence, a lot of honor, a lot of honor. I want love, so I give a lot of love, a lot of love, a lot of love. And we fight, and there's friction, and there's tension. Because God created male and female, they're different. So let's review this love and reverence thing. Because it's so important. Ephesians 5 is the quintessential passage on marriage in the Bible. In this passage, the Bible emphasizes that the most important thing that a husband should give his wife is love. Now, he needs to give her honor too. But what she's looking for, what she's yearning for, what she needs to feel uh, a right in this relationship is to feel loved. The most important thing that a wife could give to her husband is reverence. Now, he needs love too, but what he's yearning for, what, he, what he's desiring, what he needs to feel fulfilled within this marriage is reverence. Now, this does not mean that the husband should not respect his wife. This does not mean that the wife should not love her husband. This does mean that the main thing that a husband is yearning for even more than love is reverence, and the main thing that a wife is yearning for even more than respect is love. So, go back to Ephesians 5. Here's the secret of having the marriage you've always wanted. Sometimes couples walk into my office and I say, was this what you wanted? All this fighting, all this drama, all this yelling. Is this what you signed up for? Well, no, no, we, 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 we wanted to be happy. Okay, well, here's the secret to being happy. Here's the secret to being happy, love and reverence. Ready? Please, I realize people say, Pastor, this is so simplistic. The funny thing is that the people who roll their eyes at me and think this is simple are the ones not doing it. And the ones struggling in their marriages. Here's the secret. Give your spouse what they want, not what you want. And in turn, they will give you what you want. Now, let me explain explain something to you. Withhold from your spouse what they want, and they will withhold from you what you want. See, if I was a husband, and I am a husband, the question that I would be asking I'm not helping you guys out because I realize you lack communication skills. So you're like, that's really interesting. (laughs) What do I do with that? (laughs) If I were a husband and I am a husband, I would be doing everything in my power to make sure that my wife feels loved. And, And if I were a wife, and I'm not, But if I were a wife, ladies, I would be doing everything in my power to make sure that my husband felt reverence. Now, you might say, well, how do you, I don't know, how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the Bible spells it out. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 22. Now, how can a wife make sure that her husband feels reverence? How can a wife, I I wish you'd listen to me. I really do. God has a plan for you and a purpose, and God has so much more for you than what you might be experiencing right now. And if you would just stop leaning unto your own stinking understanding and just made the Bible the authority in your life and built your life on the Bible and built your life uh, and your marriage on the Word of God, you'd be shocked. God might know a little bit about you than you do. So how can a wife make sure her husband feel reverence? Well, the Bible tells you. So what do I do? Ladies, here's what you do. Number one, how do you make your husband feel reverence? Number one, how does she do it? Through submission. Ephesians 5, 22, 24. 22, 23, 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Ah, oh, Pastor, it's 2022. Should you be reading that out loud? I don't apologize for the word of God. Amen. 
This is not popular. You know what's popular? 60% divorce rate. That's what's popular. You want to end up like those people? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. How do you make your husband feel reverence? Through submission. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Notice, it doesn't say in some things. It doesn't say in most things. It says in everything. Now, I preached on this last week. We talked about uh, uh, leadership and submission in the home, and I'm not going to take the time to go through all that. You can listen to last week's sermon in regards to that. But let me just explain something. Ladies, you say, I want my husband, how do I make my husband feel reference? It happens through submission. The word submit means to come under the authority of. It means to be obedient. Now, we understand that there are authority structures in the Bible, and at the end of the day, we ought to obey God rather than man. So you should not obey your husband if he's asking you to do something sinful or wrong, but if he's not asking you to sin, then you are to submit to your God-given authority. You are to submit to uh, your, your husband. By the way, let me just say this. The Bible does not teach that all women need to submit to all men. The Bible teaches that a woman needs to submit to her God-given authority, which when she's not married is her father, and when she is married is her husband. And you say, I don't like that. Okay, then go ahead and be miserable, Michael. Go ahead and keep having your blow-ups and your fights. You say, but I'm just going to keep cuddling him, and maybe he'll come around. You can cut him all you want, but when you continue to be defiant against him, when you continue to, uh, uh, to, to, uh, to, uh, to re- resist and, and reject his authority in the home as the head of the home, when you continue to choose not to submit, your marriage will never be happy. Mark my words. It will not work. I just keep cuddling him. He doesn't want that. You want that. He wants respect. How do you do that? Through submission. You submit yourself. How do you do that? Through esteem. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 5 and 6. 1 Peter 3, 5 and 6. For after this manner... After this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. Oh, I like that. Adorn myself. I made myself look nice. Okay, here's how you ought to adorn yourself, ladies, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah, don't miss the words, obeyed. I don't think you should be teaching that. That's what the word of God teaches. Even as Sarah obeyed. But that's not normal. Hey, we live in a society where they tell you a man can dress up like a woman. And they say that's normal. Two men can go to bed together. They say that's normal. I'm not interested in finding out what the world thinks is normal. You got to clean up your mind and get back to what the word of God says. The Bible says even as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Notice, you say, how, how submissive, how much esteem. What does the word esteem mean? It means to have great respect and admiration. How much esteem did Sarah have for her husband? Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, here's how she showed esteem, calling him Lord. Wait a minute. You say, how did, how did Sarah esteem her husband? She called him Lord. She called him Lord. She referred to him as her Lord. Now, let me say this. I'm not saying that you ladies need to go home and call your husband Lord, okay? <laughs> but if you started to, he might be a lot nicer to you. <laughs> the word Lord simply means boss. It's the equivalent of a guy at work. His boss tells him to do something. He says, yes, sir. His his. His boss tells him, you're the boss. You're in charge. Yes, sir. Sure thing, boss. That, that's how she spoke to Abraham. But you know what's interesting? It gets even worse than that. Because when you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and the Bible says that, that Sarah was subject in all manner. She adorned herself, being in subjection unto her husband. Even as Sarah, the example is, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. What's even worse is that she actually did not call him Lord. 
If you go back and look at what's being referred to here in the book of Genesis, we won't take the time to do it, but if you go back and look at the actual story that's being referenced here, when, Abra- when, when, when Sarah called her husband Lord and God highlights it in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you go back and look at the story, she's actually not speaking to anyone. She's actually just thinking in her own mind and in her heart. And the Bible records for us what she thought when she referred to her husband as Lord in her mind. He said, what does that mean? Here's what it means. She wasn't just putting on a show. She literally saw her husband as her authority, as her Lord. She called him that in in her mind. And God records it down in history for us. And he said, for after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. See, you say, how do I make sure that my husband feels uh, reverence? Here's how you do it, ladies. You do it through submission. You do it through esteem. You esteem him highly. You speak to him highly. Look, ladies, I'm not trying to offend you, but most of the problem in your marriage have to do with how you speak to your husband. I mean, sometimes it's embarrassing to watch how women speak to their husband just in such a disrespectful manner and speaking to them and belittling them and mocking them and treating them like a child and then you wonder why he doesn't want to spend time with you. You wonder why he wants to spend all of his vacation time with his friends and his buddies and playing sports and, and doing this and doing that. Hey, because he does, he's not getting from you what he wants. But I always want to spend time with him. But whenever you're spending time with him, you're humiliating him. You're belittling him. You're treating him like a child. You're talking, I'm trying to help your marriage here. Amen. You, you, look, here's the thing. You can go ahead and get mad at me. I'm not your husband. I can not care less. <laughs> In fact, I like it. You say, when are you going to get off this point? When some of you ladies fix your face. <laughs> you may push your husband around. I'm not your husband. Yeah. I, I'm just going to keep c- c- trying to talk to him. You go ahead and do that all the way up to divorce court. Maybe it's not about, I, he won't talk to me. Maybe it's because you talk to him. He won't communicate with me. Maybe it's because every time he opens his mouth, you have a criticism. Why is, it, why is it that you continue to criticize him? Tell him everything he's not winning at. Tell him everything he's not succeeding at. Tell him everything he's failing at. Instead of doing what he actually needs you to do. Look, ladies, let me help you out with something. The truth is that every husband wants to be a hero to his wife. Now, look, please, please, please don't misunderstand me. Guys, guys you got to earn that. You can't be a loser. You can't, you can't just be, you know, just, just lame and, and not good at anything and not accomplish anything and just being lame at life and then expect your wife. I, I understand that. But ladies, if your husband's trying, if he's going to work every day, if he's bringing you to a church like this, I mean, you know what your husband wants? He wants to be your hero. Every husband wants his wife to be impressed with him. He wants his wife to be in awe of him. He wants his wife to be his most enthusiastic cheerleader. So ladies, when was the last time you looked at your husband and genuinely said, thank you for providing this home. Thank you for working so hard. Thank you for making sure that our children are taken care of. Thank you for being a good... But, but instead, here's what women do. They say, I can't get him to love me, so I just got to keep telling him, like, hey, you're not doing what I want. You're not giving me what I want. You're not meeting up to my expectations. And all you do is belittle him, belittle him, belittle him. And you wonder why he doesn't want to spend any time with you. I'm just saying, you do whatever you want. I'm just saying, if I was a wife, I'd be doing everything and my power to make sure my husband felt reverence. And here's the thing. You can be mad at me all you want. I'm going to go home to a wife that is submissive and, 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 and honoring and, I'm, and, and that, that honors her husband and loves him, even though I've failed many times. My wife and I will be celebrating 18 years of marriage here in a, a, a few months. Amen. You say, how did that happen? I'm telling you how it happens. How, how do couples, like the couples we have here, get to times of 40? We, we've got three couples in, in church right now that have been married 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Amen. How does it happen? 
when a wife chooses to submit and to esteem. Lady, lady, you know what you should do? I, I wish some of you would do it. I wish. I mean, I dare you. You should carry on a recorder and just record yourself. Record yourself how you speak to your husband. Just, just record how you speak to him. And then go back and review that. Go back and re- review the recording. And then, and then wonder to yourself why he won't come home for dinner. Why he won't give you the time and, and meet the needs that you want. Now, if I was a husband, I am a husband, I would do everything in my power to make sure my wife feels loved. You say, how do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Bible says. Ephesians 5, look at verse 25. See, if I was a wife, I'd be doing everything in my power to make sure my husband felt reverence. If I was a husband, I'd be doing, I am a husband, I'd be doing everything in my power to make sure my wife feels loved. How do you do that? Well, number one, through sacrifice. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. How should I love her? Even as, here's the example, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus, Jesus sacrificed, Jesus, who's the head of the church, sacrificed himself for his church, literally died for the church. And then the Bible says that we are to love our wives. How? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So how do you do it, man? You do it through sacrifice. Now, what I like about Paul is that Paul, he he gives this example, and he says, he says, love your wife the way that Christ loved the church. And then he's like, "Mm, these guys, they're not that spiritual. They may not understand that. Let me give them a better example that they might understand. Look at verse 28. In case you don't understand the love between Christ and his church, here's the other example. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. You'll understand that one. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Hey, guys, it's in your best interest to love your wife. For no man, you say, I don't understand the love between Christ and his church. Okay, well, do you get this one? For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord, the church. Do you understand? There's a big, a big term being used today in our society called self-love. That, that is so anti-Bible, it's not even funny. Right. You just got to take time to love yourself. The Bible never says to love yourself. The Bible says to love others. Amen. Self-love. But you know, here's the thing. You know why you don't have to teach self-love? Because everybody does self-love. Everybody takes care of themselves. Everybody makes sure their body's nourished. Well, here's what God says. God says, hey, love your wife sacrificially. And if you don't get that, then he says, love your wife the way you love yourself. You want to be a good husband? Start with the things you do for yourself. Start doing that instead for your wife. You know how you constantly put yourself first? You know how you constantly put your schedule first? You know how you constantly make sure that you're doing what you want? He said, hey, start doing that for your wife. That's called sacrificial love, or we might call it selfless love. You say, how do I make sure my wife feels loved? Here's how. Through sacrifice and through being selfless. Because when we love ourselves, that's selfish. But God says, no, love your wife the way you love yourself. That would be selfless love. Here's the thing, guys. When your wife does not feel cared for, she does not feel loved. So you need to prioritize her. You need to prioritize your children. Your wife, look, I I wish, I just wish some of you guys would just hear me. Your wife doesn't want to feel like she's playing second fiddle to your career. Your wife doesn't want to feel like she's playing second fiddle to your homies. Your wife doesn't want to feel like she's playing second fiddle to your stinking video games. So you go ahead and keep doing, well, I, I got to work and I provide for her. You know what she wants? You to talk to her. I make sure she's taken care of. We have health insurance and dental. Well, praise God for it. You know what she wants? She wants you to turn the TV off, turn the stinking sports off, and look her in the eye and talk to her and spend time with her and cuddle her and hug her and and hold her and make sure that she feels like you care and that she's being cared for. Or keep doing what you're doing. Go ahead and keep doing what you're doing and be miserable. I'm not miserable. I go home to a happy marriage. I'm trying to help you. Some of you need to get this idea straight. 
That maybe you ought to quit ignoring your wife and not giving her the time and the priority and prioritizing her and her children. And you wives, some of you wives need to just stop. You, you look, look, he won't talk to me. Maybe you should stop talking. Maybe the problem is with how you talk. You, do, do, what you, do whatever you want. I'm just trying to help you out. You do whatever you want. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if I was married, which I am, and if I was trying to make it to 18 years of marriage happily, which I am, and if I was going to stay in this thing for the rest of my life, which I am, and if I wanted to end my marriage happy, which I do, I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, bless God, we never got a divorce. I mean, we were in this thing to the bitter end. I mean, we hated each other, and we had separate rooms, and last time I saw her was Easter because we saw each other at church. But, you know, but we never got divorced, bless God. That's not victory. That's not happy. I'm just saying, if I was a wife, I'd try to make my husband feel reverence. I'd be careful how I spoke to him. I, I wouldn't speak to him in any other way than I would speak to my boss at work if I had a job. I wouldn't criticize him. I wouldn't belittle him. I wouldn't take jabs at him. I wouldn't highlight all his failures. I wouldn't make sure he knew all the things that I wasn't happy about. I'm just saying, if, if I was a husband, and I am, I'd make sure my wife knew that she was my number one human priority. Yes. That aside from God, there is nothing more important in this earth than her and her happiness. I, I, I would do everything in my power to make sure that she knew that I cared and that I cared for her. Now let's go back to our struggling couple. Remember David and Michael? Go, go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Mr. David and Mrs. Michael walk into my office. So they sit down. So what's going on? They said, well, David says, I don't know. I don't understand. I was, I mean, it was a good day. The Ark of the Covenant was coming back. I was dancing before the Lord. I was in a real good mood. I was generous. I was giving offerings to the Lord. I was giving offerings to the people. And I even came home to bless my household. And I mean, I just walked through the door and she's just like, you know, she's in her, in her, uh, in her robe and her flip, her, 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 you know, her hair's all messy. Like, How glorious is the King of Israel today? You gotta be ashamed of yourself. Like you're a vain fellow. That's what David would say. They would tell you, they would tell the story. I'd take time to say, well, you know, the Bible teaches the concept of love and reverence. You ever heard that? Look, look, at, look at our story through that lens of love and reverence. 2 Samuel 6:16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, my call Saul's daughter looked through a window. Isn't it obvious that Michael is feeling left out? Isn't it obvious that Michael does not feel like she's the priority right now? Isn't it obvious that Michael does not feel like David thought she was important enough to make sure that she was at this gathering? David said, oh, no, she doesn't care. Well, she obviously cares that she's looking through a window. I mean, and as the ark of the Lord came into the city, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She sees King David busy with all his buddies, busy having a good time. Everything's going great except for one thing. She's not there. And she despised him in her heart. Michael is feeling left out. Michael is feeling like she's not a priority. You know what Michael is feeling right now? Unloved. Not only does she feel like she's not the priority, she's also very jealous. Look at, look at what she says. Verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today. Notice what she says. Notice what she says. Who uncovered himself in the uh, today. Notice, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants. She brings up the fact that he uncovered himself in front of the female servants. Now, why does Michael bring this up? I think I know why. Because she was feeling left out. She was feeling jealous. She was not feeling prioritized. She felt very unloved. So 
So how does she respond? Well, here's what Michael does. She does what the average woman does. And by the way, in reverse, what the average man does. Because Michael is feeling unloved, what does she do? She responds with disrespect. The Bible says there in verse 16, and she despised him in her heart. Notice how she speaks to her husband, verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, notice how she speaks to him, sarcastically, how glorious is the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants. That's what she's really worried about. She's not feeling prioritized. She's feeling jealous. She's feeling unloved. She's being left out. She says, and as one of the vain, the word vain means shallow, one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. She feels unloved, so she responds with disrespect. Do you get that? She feels like she's not prioritized. She's looking through a window wondering, why wasn't I invited? She's looking through a window wondering, why didn't my husband hold my hand and, and say, hey, we're going to go bring the ark of the Lord. I want you to come with me. I want you to experience this with me. Why is he dancing down there? Why are all those girls down there with him? And, and, and by the way, it wasn't just handmaids. It was servants. It was all sorts of people. But who did she focus in on? The handmaids. Why? Because she's feeling unloved. She's feeling jealous. She's feeling left out. So she responds with disrespect. Please, guys, please get this. Please understand this. Because guys say this stuff to me all the time. Everything was fine, and then just out of nowhere, she flipped out. It wasn't out of nowhere. I just came home at... No, no, no. She felt unloved. She felt not the priority. So she responds with disrespect. Notice our husband, David. Notice how he feels. Please look at what he says, verse 21. And David said unto Michael, here's his response. It was before the Lord. Remember, he starts off good. Which shows me before thy father. Then he quickly derails, takes a jab at her dad. And before all his house. He takes a jab at her whole family. He's like, not only did God choose me before your father, he chose me before your father and your entire household. None of your brothers were good enough. God chose me. Now, let me, let me ask you something. Why does David bring this up right now? She just called him a vain, shameless fellow. Well, if I'm so vain and shameless, why did God choose me over your dad? If I'm such a loser, why didn't God choose me over your whole household? Notice what he says. To appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord. Over Israel. Notice how he emphasizes his position of authority and respect. Therefore will I play before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than thus, and I will be based in mine own sight. And please, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Notice, ladies, please see this. Notice what he wants. What is it that David wants? David wants what every man wants. He wants reverence. He wants respect. He wants honor. And she won't get it from her. So notice what he says. He says, you don't like that I was dancing before the maidservant? Well, I'm, it's going to get worse. And he says, of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, he says, of them shall I be had in honor. Why does he say that? He said, Michael, you don't want to respect me? Well, they'll respect me over there. Those handmaids you're talking about, they'll give me honor. Why does he say that? Here's why he says that. Because you know what every husband wants? Respect. You know what every wife wants? Love. And, 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 and when a husband fails to make sure his wife feels loved, and when a wife fails to make sure her husband feels reverence, the whole thing falls apart. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. See, there's this vicious cycle. Men respond to respect. Women respond to love. When women do not feel love, they usually do not show respect. When men do not feel respected, they usually do not show love. If you want your spouse to give you what you want, then you need to endeavor to give them what they want. And that, my friend, is the secret to a happy marriage. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. I don't know how more clear I could be about the issue. Guys, you know why your wife is disrespectful to you? Because she doesn't feel loved. Period. That's it. That's the problem. That's the story. That's usually the story. That's, the, that's it. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how, what, it's, what, what it's filtered through. At the end of the day, she doesn't feel loved. 
I mean, I could literally, I, I, and I don't do this. The Bible says, you know, that it's foolish for someone to give an answer before you hear the matter. But, you know, I, it, it doesn't matter because you, you sit down and you tell people, tell me what the story is. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, she doesn't feel loved. He doesn't feel respected. No, no, that's not it. Okay, go ahead and fail. The way you speak to your husband is ruining your marriage. And you can let your pride get in that thing, and you can get your, your arrogance get in that thing, and you can become stubborn and rebellious, and go ahead, be stubborn and rebellious all the way down to divorce court. The way you're treating your wife makes her feel unloved. And you can be stubborn and rebellious and be a fool about it. Or you can submit yourself to the word of God. Amen. Now let me just make this clear. Your marital obligation... What God expects from you, husband, husbands are biblically obligated to love their wives, whether their wives reverence them or not. Wives are biblically obligated to reverence their husbands, whether their husbands love them or not. That's your biblical obligation before God. (laughs) But you know what the funny thing is? If you said, well, he doesn't love me, but, you know, fine, I'll just go ahead and show him respect. I'm just going to do it as unto the Lord, which is what the Bible actually says. I'm here to show him respect. You know what the funny thing is? Well, she doesn't respect me, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. You know, I'm going to love her like Christ loved the church, and I'm not going to do it because of her. I'm just going to show her love and make sure she feels like she's prioritized. And if, if, if a decision has to be made and I have to sacrifice or she has to sacrifice, I will sacrifice, and I will take care of her the way I take care of myself. And I'm not going to do it because I love her. I'm just going to do it because that's what God says to do, and she's very disrespectful. You know what the funny thing is? If you did what you're supposed to do, even if you did it with a bad attitude, you know what would happen? He'd start showing more love. And she'd start showing more respect. It's a beautiful thing. If one of you can stop being so stinking arrogant and be humble enough to say, I'm sorry, I've been doing this wrong. Let me fix it. See, there's this vicious cycle, and what one of you needs to do, if not both of you, what one of you at least needs to do is get off the stinking vicious cycle. Humble yourself before God. Because at the end of the day, you're biblically obligated to love your husband, whether he, to, to reverence your husband, whether he loves you or not, and to love your wife, whether she reverences you or not. But if you endeavor to do your part, I know, I know that he would begin to do his part. You say, I don't know, I don't know if I trust this thing. How does this whole thing work? Go to Ephesians 5, look at verse 21. We're going to finish up. Before Paul gives us this whole big thing on marriage and all these principles, he begins by saying this, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, what does that mean? Because he just told the wives to submit to the husband. When he says submit yourselves one to another here, he's not saying, he's not teaching mutual submission or, you know, it's 50-50 or whatever. We talked about that last week. The idea here that he's speaking to is the same idea that you see in Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Just real quickly. We're, we're, we're done. Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. The Bible says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. That's humility. Let each esteem other better than themselves. See, if you just submitted yourself to your... Because notice, Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. What does that mean? That means that you're going to submit yourself under the authority of God to the role and responsibility that God has given you. So you husbands, because you're supposed to be the leader, right? So, So take the lead. She's disrespectful. Okay, you start showing love. You start making her the priority. You start making sure she's provided for and protected. You start making sure you love her sacrificially and selflessly, whether she does it or not. You take the lead. And and you might find that she starts changing. What if she doesn't? Then just do it anyway, because that's what God said to do. But I've never known. I've never known a human being that God's wrong about. This is what God wants. So, Paul says, in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 33, he says, if you haven't caught anything, if you've been sleeping through my sermon, if you've not been paying attention, if there's one thing I'd like you to take away is this, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see as she reverence her husband. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I really do believe that this is the thing.
This is the problem. When people have problems in marriage, this is it right here. I wish we were humble enough to receive it and to act upon it. Lord, I pray. I pray for these marriages. I pray for these dear people. Lord, I really do pray that there would be some men in this room that would get alone in their own mind sometime today and really consider, how have I been treating my wife? Have I been loving her sacrificially? Have I been loving her selflessly? Have I made sure that she knows that I care and that she's cared for? Lord, I really do pray that there'd be some wives that would go home and in their own minds consider, have I been speaking to my husband? Have I been esteeming him, reverencing him, respecting him? Lord, I pray there'd be some husbands, some wives that would maybe get on their knees today in private somewhere and just ask you to forgive them. And that they would stand up and endeavor to do what you've called them to do. Lord, help these things to not just go in one ear and out the other. I really do think this could help so many marriages. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.